man, it's it's so good to be here with you guys. You guys don't realize how good it is to be here with you in Busan uh, at New Philadelphia. We've been praying into this church for a long time, far before it was, you know, ever uh, materialized here in Busan. We um, God birthed it in our hearts the leadership at the church, and uh, we realized that. And by the Spirit of God, we realized that God was doing something powerful in the city and that there is something um, about this city that, uh, that is going to be key to what God does in the future through the nations. And God, we just felt the call of God in our lives to come down here to invest like, 10 of our like, very best people to come here and, and to, to dig in, to leave their jobs you know, in Seoul, to leave their homes, their friends in Seoul, to come here and... Uh, and to really just jump into what God's doing here in the city. So it's, it's a joy, it's a privilege uh, to be here with you. And as Caleb mentioned, uh, I'm a Mennonite. I don't know if, I, when I say that, when, when people hear the word Mennonite, all these scary pictures usually come to mind, especially if you're like American. Because in, in the States, Mennonites like really conservative. Like I think they might be Amish kind of people. Yeah, with the hats, like like only black clothes and... And that sort of thing. And, um, and for those of you who didn't hear Caleb's testimony or so much of it, I guess, last week that he shared, you really got to go back and listen to it. And uh, I think it's just key for the campus pastor to share. This is my background. This is where I came from. And Caleb had a very interesting past. Um, and he, you know, was into all sorts of things, trouble with the law, in prison, all these things. You have to listen to, you know, the podcast and get the context and where these things lead to. And eventually, I mean, they lead to here, ultimately. And, uh, and that's actually the, the story for a lot of people at our church, not particularly prison, but, uh, but a lot of people have like really backslidden pasts, you know, for whatever reason, God's led a lot of people with, you know, lots of, you know, backslidden, uh, like stuff that's gone in their lives to our church. We're just kind of a magnet, uh, for people like that. And, uh, at the same time, uh, there are some of us who, who don't have quite that story. And I'm one of those people. I, I don't have like a massively backslidden past. I, you know, when you're growing up with that kind of background, you tend to think, man, I, I hear all these incredible testimonies of how God brought people from like utter darkness into his glorious light, you know, and there's such a massive transformation. And I, you know, growing up with that, I always felt like that was a bit of a lesser thing, you know? that I had my story because I mean, it's not like I had this, this massive transformation. It's been like just a subtle transformation through my entire life, basically. And, um, I, I grew up in a Christian family in Canada in, in a very rural area. And, and Mark, my friend back there is from like exactly the same place. We actually knew each other back in Canada. Uh, I say I'm from Winnipeg, which is a city. I mean, in Cree, you'd probably consider it a little town. It's, uh, What's the population mark of Winnipeg these days? It's like 800,000. Something, something like 800,000. That's like a big city, you know, on the prairies of Canada, right? And, uh, and so I, I like to say that I'm from Winnipeg, but I'm actually not. I'm from uh, closer to a town called Oak Bank, just like Mark, uh, which is population about 2,500, maybe 3,000 or something like that. And the thing is, that I'm not even actually from Oak Bank. I'm from like, <laughs> I, I'm from like out in the middle of nowhere. Just like Mark. Mark's also from out in the middle of nowhere. He's not from actually Oak Bank either. And, uh, and so I had a very, a very sheltered past. Like I grew up in a Christian family, Mennonite family, went to church every Sunday. You know, I, um, 
I ended up going to a private Mennonite middle school and high school, and I was I was like in this this bubble of when I, when I look back on it, I realized it was a bubble of God's grace more than anything else, and um, and I just I, I grew up with with the Lord. I grew up knowing Him in in certain ways, more knowing about Him than knowing Him, and. Uh, and if it wasn't for, I grew up playing hockey as well. If it wasn't for hockey and grew up in like the, the locker room atmosphere, that sort of thing, I feel like I would have been like the most sheltered individual in the entire world. Like I, that was, that was my upbringing. And even in that place where there wasn't this massive transformation in terms of, you know, um, like a sinful lifestyle or anything. When I grew up, I feel like my life was like, it was largely in black and white. It was, I knew the truth in my head. I grew up a believer. I, I went to church. I prayed. I read my Bible, these sorts of things. But I didn't really understand or get the love of God when I was growing up. I had completely loving parents. My parents are amazing. They loved the Lord and they loved us as children growing up. But it wasn't until I went away to college that God started to open up my eyes and open up my heart to the truth of his love. And that truth, just the simple truth that God loves me changed everything for me. I always knew the truth, but the revelation of it in my heart changed everything. It was like going from a black and white television to like a high def color television not not even just color like a high definition color television it, it changed everything although i knew all things it was now like it came alive to me and i understood it and i'm still for the rest of my life i'm gonna be growing in this revelation because the love of god is something that is infinite and eternal and you will never stop learning about the love of god that's the glory and the beauty of it and what i feel is on the lord's heart for us this afternoon is simply to release revelation of God's father heart of love for us. So that's what we're going to look at today. That's what we're going to dig into today. And we're going to do that through a well-known passage of scripture in Luke 15. So turn your Bibles to Luke 15. Amazing parables in Luke 15. We're only going to look at one of them, uh, that being the larger one. Uh, from verse 11, this is the parable of the prodigal son, as it's commonly known as the parable of the lost son. Uh, some people refer to it as. I'm going to read. I'm going to read the entire thing. Just stick with me. I'm going to read it in the ESV version, um, and I'm going to read from 11 until the end of the chapter. So follow along. And as I follow, you know what? Actually, don't even read your Bible. You don't need to close it because I'll refer to it later. You can leave it open. But I want you to close your eyes and get a picture for what's going on. Because Jesus told stories as he taught, commonly as he taught. He told stories in vivid images that people would be able to understand and receive for themselves. And so just, just close your eyes and picture the story. You can leave your Bible open for the time being as well. And he said, that's Jesus... 
There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come, came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. End of story. And the story kind of, it's kind of a, an awkward way to end because we don't know what happened after that really with older son or with the father. Uh, but what I want to do in this parable, there are countless things we could look at, focus in on, but what I want to focus in on is just a few things from this parable that show us the father's heart. So it's going to focus in on the character of the father today, this afternoon. And so the first thing that I want to focus in on regarding the father's heart from this parable is simply that God will never stop you from going your own way.
Yeah. God, God will never stop you from going and doing whatever you want to do. He won't. He won't do it. It says, I mean, he, the story starts with a father who's got two sons, and one of them decides he's just going to do his own thing. It's obviously not his father's will that he does this, but he asks the father to give him his share of the inheritance. As the younger son, he, the older son would get more of an inheritance. The younger son would get a lesser amount. But it's still, the context kind of paints a picture of a, a wealthy family, a well-to-do family. And this younger son is going to get a fairly large sum of money from his father when his father dies. But he asks him at that point, while his father is still alive, Father, give me what's due me, and I'm going to go do my own thing. And what the, the younger son was really saying as he said that was, Father, I wish you were dead so I can just take what's yours, what's waiting for me, and do my own thing. I have no interest in you. I have no interest in living here. I just want to do my own thing. Now, when you think about it, I mean, the father, think about your own fathers. I mean, how, how would they respond to that? In general, could, could you imagine if you approached your own dad and said, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. Now I'm leaving. I mean, we, we wouldn't even think of doing that. I mean, who, I mean, there, the depravity in the world, it goes beyond like anything. So people have done that sort of thing, but could you imagine doing that to your own father? But that's what he does. He says, I, I don't care about you at all. I don't care about anything you've done for me. I just want to take what I can get from you and leave. My father wouldn't let me do that. I'm pretty sure, you know, but this is, this is the heart of, of the heavenly father of our heavenly father. He just lets him go. He says, okay, I'll, you want to leave son? I'm not going to stop you here. You take what I'm going to, I was going to give you someday. I was going to leave it for you in my will. You take it now and you can go. And so he goes, isn't it incredible that humans were created with free will? That astounds me. Like God could have created humans however he wants to, but he created humans with the capacity to do whatever they want. I can go do whatever I want. If I wanted to go to Paris, I could go to Paris after this service. I could go right now. You know, I, I got free will. I could walk out of this room. I can do anything. I can eat whatever I want to eat. I can do whatever I want to do. I could fulfill any sinful desire I might have just because I have free will. I can do it and God will let me do it. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. And that, that's incredible because I mean, God could have created us as like, as robots, right? And we could have done, you know, just exactly what he wants us to do. I mean, he's God. He can make us, you know, do his will. I'm a robot. I will do the will of God. I will stay in righteousness, you know, that sort of thing. But God chose to give humans freedom completely. Do whatever you want. And he does that so that we can, we can be free. Taste the things of the world. You can taste whatever you want in the world. The things that are the most appealing to you. You taste them, you receive them, and someday you'll realize that you were made for more than that. 
You are made for more than the greatest thing the world has to offer, the greatest thrill the world has to offer. You are made for far, far, you were made for eternal things, not things that are passing away. You're human. You've been made in the, in the image of God, made as an eternal being. I like what, what C.S. Lewis says. I'm going to read a C.S. Lewis quote. Do you guys like C.S. Lewis? I, I, I love C.S. Lewis. I just find him so, so wise. Okay. He says this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are like ignorant children who want to continue making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis says, you know, your problem isn't that you desire too much. Your problem is that your desires are far too small. You're, you haven't entered into like eternal infant desires because you were made for those. Because there's actually a longing inside of your heart for more. Everyone knows they were created for more. When you sit down and think you have like a moment of revelation, you realize, man, I was actually made for more than this. I don't know what it is, but there's something more. There's something more than what I'm experiencing out there. But God lets us taste those things because he gives us freedom of will. He doesn't make us love him. Have you guys seen the movie Bruce Almighty? I, I, th- I mean, they're, they're like blasphemous things in that movie, you know? I mean, things, thing, well, I mean, things that are not accurate representations of who God is, right? But there's, there's one scene that I think is just, is so brilliantly done. It makes so, like it, I, I'm watching the movie. I'm like getting this, this massive revelation of the heart of God as I'm watching Bruce Almighty. I'm like, like it, it, it nailed me. And it's a scene when, uh, when Jim Carrey's character, now Jim Carrey in the movie, he's given by, by God, who is Morgan Freeman, played by Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and he's given by, by God like the power of God. God's going to go on vacation and he's giving Jim Carrey all the power of God to do whatever he wants to do, basically. The full power of God. And so Jim Carrey just says, you know, he, he does all these incredible things. I'm, I've got the power of God so I can do anything I want, right? And, and so he enjoys that for a time, but he's interested, or I'm not sure if he's married or it's his girlfriend. I think it's his girlfriend, a character played by Jennifer Aniston. And, uh, and, Jennifer Aniston has, has, she's turned her back on him and he thinks, well, I've got the power of God. So I, I can just bring her back to myself. I mean, God can do anything, right? God can do whatever he wants to do. So I'm just going to bring her back to myself because I'm like God and I can do that. And, and so he, there's this, this scene where, where he's with Jennifer Aniston and, and she walks away from him and he just kind of looks at her and says, love me, love me, love me like that. Right. Like reaching out for her, like with the power of God, love me. And she just keeps walking away. He didn't realize that point, but that within the power of God, there isn't even God. God has not given himself. He's, he's limited himself from the capacity of making people love him. He won't do it. He won't make anyone out there anywhere love him. 
He says, I won't do it. I won't make you. I will draw you to myself. I will woo you to myself, but I will not override your free will. Very interesting. In this passage, the father does not stop the son from going his way. And God, the father will never stop us from going our own way. We can do whatever we want. Okay. First thing from this passage that I want to highlight about the heart of God as father. Second thing is that God's heart longs for you. God's heart yearns for you. You see that in the character of the father clearly in this, in this parable. So after the son has gone his own way, he's taken this money, he's gone, and then he squanders it right away in wild living. Uh, and, and his older brother assumes later that it was prostitutes. He doesn't say that earlier. He just, his older brother's like, ah, it must have been prostitutes. That, that's probably what he got into. Uh, <laughs> we, we don't, we, we, that's kind of the assumption that's made. And because uh, an older brother might think something like that. Uh, but, uh, but he squanders everything. And then there's a famine in the land. He's in a place of desperation. And then all he can do is hire himself out to a farmer to work with the pigs, but he doesn't even get real food. He just gets the pods the pigs are eating. That's all that's left for him to eat. And in this state of desperation, in this state of, I mean, there, there's nothing left for me. I've, I've already like burned bridges with my father. I've lost everything I have. What else is left for me? A thought comes to his mind and he says, well, I can't come back to my father as his son, I, I just, I just couldn't do that. But what I could do is go and hire myself out to my father as a servant. That's how I can go back. I'll just do that. He, so he's, he's playing through the scenario in his mind. This is what I'm going to say to my father when I come back. This is how I'm going to approach him. And, and so as he comes to his father, his father, it says, it says in verse 17, no, verse 20, it says his father saw him from a long way off, from a far distance. You know, you're not going to see something at a far distance and recognize what it is unless you're looking for it. I mean, you might see something far off, but I can't look out into the ocean there. I love the ocean. I can't look out into the ocean there and see something that I will recognize unless I'm looking for that particular thing, right? And so his father, you know his father has been waiting for him. His father has been looking for him. You can tell that his father has been longing for him. Like we could, you know, fill in the blanks for the story and read between the lines. And you could, you could imagine the father like day after day yearning for his son. Yearning for him. Because the heart of God, the Father, is in no way passive and in no way half-hearted. That, I love that. That in the heart of God, there is nothing half-hearted. There is not one shred of half-heartedness within the heart of God. He is full-on filled with eternal, infinite passion. He's, he's a raging heart of passion in the heart, like the heart of God. He's, he experiences emotions in their fullness and in their perfection. When it says, when the Bible says that, that God is love, 
it's not like God experiences this little drip of love. It's like God experiences the fullness, the perfection of love. We experience love in like these little, you know, just, just drips here and there. We experience true love. But we don't know the like we don't know the extent of God's love until we're with Him in in heaven. We're not going to understand what the love of God really, really looks like. It's full on, complete, perfect. And there's there's one image in Scripture that I love probably more than any other regarding the longing of the heart of God for us, and that's in Psalm one thirty nine. You guys can. Turn there, yeah. Turn to Psalm 139. It's right in the middle of the Bible. Look at verse 17. It says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. When you read the Bible, you realize that God's got this, this corporate heart of love for the church. You know, the, the church is the bride of Christ. It's not really, really that accurate to say, I am the bride of Christ as an individual, that's not as true as to say we corporately are the bride of Christ. All believers out there, we all together are the bride of Christ. So there's this corporate nature that's communicated like throughout the Bible of God's heart of love for his people. And Psalm 139 is one of those places in scripture that's very intimate. David is talking about himself. He's not talking about, you know, the people of God. He's not talking about the nation of Israel. He's not talking about the church. He's just saying, this is me. Well, this is your intimate heart of love toward me as an individual. This is how you feel toward me. And it says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. And when I, when I first read that, and when I had read it a number of times when I was, when I was growing up, I really understood that to mean God's thoughts in general. Like God is, he's God, he's big, he thinks a lot because he's God, right? And so he's got lots of thoughts in his mind. And yeah, I guess it makes sense that, that he, his thoughts outnumber the grains of sand because he's God and he can think that much, right? But when I, when I started studying Hebrew and I, got, I dug into what was going on in this passage, I realized the word within the context, the word more accurately should read toward the word to in your Bible. I think there's only one translation I've come across. that actually translates it that way. But when you look at the way it should be translated in this context, it would be better to say toward. So you read that passage again, verse 17, how precious toward me are your thoughts or how precious are your thoughts toward me or how precious are your thoughts concerning me God's thoughts about me is a better understanding of that passage actually 
his thoughts toward me, toward John, outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. Just his thoughts about me, not his thoughts about anyone else, just about me. I'm just going to be self. I'm going to talk about me for a second. You know, his thoughts about me outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. Now we were right by a beach. If you could imagine counting just at, at hand day, just, just that, that one strip of beach and think about how many grains of sand there are over there. You start counting them because it's really nice sand, right? It's nice sand at hand day. Uh, that's, that's what I hear. And so you just, you get a handful of that sand, start counting grains of sand. This is the, this is the word of God. This is what it's saying. His thoughts toward me outnumber those grains of sand, that plus Kwangali plus every other beach in Korea, plus every other beach in the world outnumber the grains of sand. That's how he's thinking right now. God is thinking about me. Do you guys know that? He's, he's thinking about me right now. That makes me feel very special. God is thinking about me right now. He was thinking about me when I woke up this morning. He was thinking about me when I went to bed last night. And all through the night, he was thinking about me. He can do that because he's God. Right now, he's thinking about Roy. God loves you, Roy. I just, I just got to say, I mean, like, he's, he's thinking about Roy right now he's thinking about all these things that are going on in the world he's thinking about like the missile launch that happened a couple days ago he's thinking about you know what's going on in the middle east right now he's got all these like these world issues that that god's thinking about but he's also thinking about roy he's like i mean i i've got you know the, the missile launching in north korea i've got you know, things that are happening in the U.S., things that are happening in Brazil right now. You know, all these leaders that are transitioning into power, in power, out of power. And he's thinking about all these things, but he's like, Roy. Oh, I love Roy. Oh, I love Roy. Roy is amazing. You know, he, that's how God thinks toward us. He's thinking about us right now. I guarantee you what God is doing right now, he's thinking about you. That makes me feel pretty special. I mean, God's heart is longing for me. God's heart is longing for us. And I mean, even if the fact that, that he's not, I mean, he sees his son from a distance, he recognizes him. Beyond that, what he does after that he takes off running toward his son. Now, in this context, in this culture, you would never do that. A, a man, a father of stature like that wouldn't run anywhere. They don't run. They walk wherever they want because they can. Because it would be undignified for them to run somewhere. That would, like, bring shame on them. Like, I, I've got to run toward something. I must be in a hurry. You know, th these guys, they weren't in a hurry. They did what they want when they want because they have that kind of stature and that kind of position. And so it says he runs toward his son who just squandered everything he gave him, you know, in wild living. And, and it says, I mean, in the ESV, it says that he embraced him is the word is used there. 
That, that's actually kind of a weak word for the Greek that's, that's, that's given there. The literal meaning of the Greek, it really, I think it's, it's translated this way in the King James Version. The literal meaning of the Greek there is he fell on his neck. That was like an expression at that time, I guess. Uh, I mean, I can't make sense of it any more than that. It says like his father ran to him and like fell on his neck. So you can imagine like, like get beyond this. Like he, he runs up and he, he gives him a hug like that. No, it wasn't like that. It was like he ran full force at him and he tackled him basically. That's a better understanding. That's a more accurate picture of what happens here. He charges at his son and he like throws himself on him. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God toward us, beloved. God doesn't, he doesn't care if, if someone thinks he looks undignified. He'll just lavish his love. He'll just pour it onto us. His heart burns with love for us. It's longing. It's a heart that's longing with love for us. Okay, second point from this passage regarding the Father's heart of love for us. Let's look at a third point. Simply this that the way the father or sorry, the way we see ourselves is not the way the father sees us. The way that we see ourselves is not the way the father sees us. Often it's like exactly the opposite. And, and my wife Anita was preaching on this on Friday uh, about regarding ourselves in the spirit rather than in the flesh. And that God calls us to see everything in the spirit. God calls us to see everything from heaven's perspective because he's given us the capacity to do that actually. And I mean, you look at what the son says here, the son, he's already rehearsed the speech, right? And he comes up to his father and he says, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I do not, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And that's what he was like, those are, I'm sure those are the exact words he was like rehearsing. I gotta say this right. I gotta say this the right way. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. In his mind, that was completely true. A, he had sinned and B, he didn't think he was worthy to be called the son of his father. He's like, I've lost that. I've, I've lost that position entirely. And you look at the father's response to that. The first thing I think, I don't think the father even heard what he said. By judging by what he responds and how he responds, it's like he, did, he didn't even hear, he didn't even listen to that. Okay? Very interesting. He simply says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Amen. Like I, I think sometimes when we come to God and we start, we start uh, you know, telling God what we see in ourselves. I shouldn't have pounded the pulpit. It made the thing fall down. I won't do it anymore. Uh, <laughs> we start saying, because we, we see ourselves as weak, you know. We see ourselves as compromised. We see ourselves in our failures. We often, we, we just tend to do that, right? We see all of our weaknesses better than anyone else, right? 
And I think when we come to God and say those things, I don't think he doesn't even listen to us. He's like, what are you talking about? And he just goes into affirming us and saying who we actually are. And God's always wanting to communicate to us who we really are. Because only God sees us for who we really, really, really are. Only God truly knows because he created us and he knows everything about us. And we are always being deceived or the attempts are being made to deceive us into believing we're something that we're completely not. So much that I've experienced in different churches that I've been at in different places of the world is, is really about us understanding that we are sinners saved by grace, right? You know, you, you are a lowly person, you are a sinner, but because of God's great love, he just, he put his grace on you. But don't forget, you're a sinner. Don't forget you're prone to sin and you need to be thankful for everything God gives you. And, and they, people label us with that, you know? And I, I, I mean, I think I still, at sometimes, I feel like after I've done something in disobedience to God, I still feel like I need to beat myself up over it. You know, I still feel like, man, I got to do something so that God will, will love me. I got to do something so that God will accept me again. I've got to do something so that I'm, I'm in his good graces again or something like that. And it's like this, like this, like Catholic understanding of penance. Like you got to do something to, to get in with God again, right? You got to do something to make it up to God. And that's completely not the heart of God. God is full of grace. He's full of mercy and he loves to lavish grace and mercy on his people. He delights in it. He loves it. Like we think that God has a hard time showing mercy to people. He, that's like his favorite thing to do. No, like, it's like his favorite thing. I, I love being merciful. I love, like, it's just like, his, I've got an opportunity to be merciful right now. And, that's, and it fills God's heart with joy, you know? And we're beating ourselves up over it. But God never approaches us that way. You know, he just, he never does. He says four interesting things here. He says, first, bring the best robe. That's the first thing he tells his servant to do once his son has returned home. Bring the best robe. Now, a robe in that situation, in that context, is it, it, it signified distinction. Like if you wore a robe, you were a man of distinction. Not everyone ro- wore a robe at that time. It was a special thing to wear. It was special clothes. And he doesn't say just bring a robe. He says, bring the very best robe you can find. I want you to find the best one. Bring that one and put it on my son. The second thing he says, he says, put a ring on his finger. A ring in that time symbolized authority. This son had just squandered everything that his father gave him. He deserved nothing. And his his father said, I want you to put the ring of my authority on his finger right now. Everything that I have belongs to him again, right now. It It just got restored to him again. Instantly, like that. Just like that. He's now a man of distinction again, of high distinction. And then he's a man of authority. 
all that you thought you lost, I return to you right now, just like that. No lag time. There was no parole. There's no like there's no like waiting period right now. Just like that. Because God loves it. He loves to do that. And the third thing is to put sandals or shoes on his feet. Shoes and sandals were reserved for sons. Slaves didn't wear sandals. Slaves did not wear shoes. Slaves went barefoot everywhere they went. If you wore shoes, that meant you were a son. And his father says, I want you to know right now, you are my son. You were brought fully back into that place of sonship. You've always been my son. Now I want you to know it. Put shoes on his feet right now. These are instant things. Like that's, that's the thing about this that gets me. It's like right now, we're not going to spend time discussing what you did before. We're not going to talk through like, you know, all the mistakes you made. I don't want to hear about it. I don't even care. You know, I'm going to, I'm just going to do this for you right now. That is the heart of the father. It's a right now heart. And the fourth thing he says is go kill the fattened calf because we're going to celebrate. He said, this son of mine was lost, but now he's found. And we need to celebrate. It says in the, in the parable earlier in the chapter in Luke 15, it says that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over whatever number, what's the number, than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Heaven celebrates when one person repents and turns to the Lord. Heaven celebrates. Angels get really, really excited. And there's a party in heaven. It's, and it's right now. That's what gets me. God doesn't put you on probation. He says, right now, you are fully accepted. Right now. And what did the son do to receive any of this? All that the son did was come home. He just came home. That was it. And beloved, this is God's heart of love for us wherever we're at in our journey. This is his heart of love for us if we've, you know, if we don't know him yet and God calls us home to himself. This is God's heart of love for us if we knew him before and we've backslidden heavily and we're doing our own thing and we're coming back. This is his heart of love for us if we've been walking with him. And you get later in the story, we're not going to talk about it at this point, but the older brother is highly offended by what the father does. Highly offended. What does the father tell him? He said, everything I have is yours. It's all yours. You know that the storehouses of heaven belong to us. 
everything that God has belongs to us. And we possess it all by faith. Everything. We are his children. We are princes and princesses of the most high God. We are royalty. And God wants us to know that. Let's take a minute to pray, to pray into that. Father, we thank you for the deep revelation, God, of your heart of love for us, God. You call us nothing less than your sons, whom you are highly, highly pleased in and proud of, God. So we pray even right now, God, you take that revelation deeper inside of us, that you are God who is, is a God of now, a God of love that is now, acceptance that is now, favor that is now, blessing that is now, that we're not on some probation period, that we're not on some, some lag time before we can receive everything you have for us, God, but you're lavishing it all on us right now, God. That although we have free will to do whatever we want, that you call us to yourself right now. And you say, come, come, all you who are thirsty, come. Because you'll be satisfied in me. there's anyone here who either does not know the love of God who has never come home to the Lord or who feels that they need to come home to him again if you've been living for yourself and doing your own thing I just want to give an opportunity for you right now to come home to the Lord to come home to your father if something is stirring in your heart toward that and I want to give you the opportunity to stand and to come home. So if that's you, if there's something stirring in your heart right now, then I invite you to stand up.